The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Good day, good evening, good morning to everybody listening, whether you're on Main Street USA or High Street UK or a boulevard in Paris or whatever road lane or cul-de-sac on which you find yourself around this earth. We here at Main Street Vegan are on the brink of a kindness revolution, and I am happy and grateful that you want to be part of that. So today, we are going to be celebrating the written word. After the first break, we'll be talking with Colleen Holland of Veg News Magazine. Those of you who have been fans of of Veg News, and that's pretty much all the vegans and vegetarians on earth, I think, have missed the publication. It's been on hiatus for a while, and it is about to come back with a great big bang. So we will find out all about that in a little bit. But right now, we are going to be talking with a novelist. Christopher Locke worked for over a decade in the television industry and left that career to follow his dreams and write his debut novel, Persimmon Takes on Humanity, the thrilling first book in his young adult series, The Enlightenment Adventures. Welcome, Christopher. Hello. (laughs) It's such a joy to have you on the show. I must say that I have not read your book, but that's not because I didn't want to. It's because my assistant, Danielle, wanted to read it so much that she took it. And she said, I'll send you notes. And this is really fun. You are going to like this a lot. So this is a novel, listeners, and the main character is a little animal being who goes out saving animals that are are being abused. Well, we had a situation in which some breeder, they presume, of white rats either had an accident or purposely let hundreds of, of white rats out on the West Side Highway here in New York City. Now, obviously, for a lot of these animals, things were not good, but some of them were rescued, and they're up for adoption. And Danielle is actually adopting two of these rats, and you will be happy to know that she is naming one of them Gilby after Persimmon's favorite calf. So, <laughs> so that's the influence you have. So tell us, who's Persimmon, and what's he up to? Yeah, so uh, Persimmon is, as you said, a raccoon, and basically she finds out with a group of her friends, they find out that humans are abusing other animals. 
and they were completely oblivious to this because all they do is play in the woods. And at some point, they come upon this violence, and immediately they are shocked. And so they decide, we need to create a team that goes around saving other animals. And so that's the book. It's the story of them. Uh, they go to a factory farm. I don't want to give too much away, but they, they go to different places where they, they save animals, and it's really exciting for them to uh, feel like they're making a difference uh, because they before felt like they were you know, leading idle lives. And I really admire Persimmon for her bravery. And uh, I always tell people, uh, you know, for anyone who liked the intensity of the Hunger Games, the social commentary of the jungle, and the heart of Charlotte's Web, this is going to be your new favorite book. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Now, I need to say, from what I did look at in the book and from what Danielle has told me, you don't pull any punches. This is a young adult book, but you are not sugarcoating what happens to animals. What gave you the, the idea that you could just lay it all out there and, and be effective? Yeah, this was a decision I made early on where I decided that the story of what happens to animals in the real world is horrific, as you know. And I decided, okay, I don't want people to finish reading this book and think, hey, you know, factory farms aren't so bad. You know, like, no, no, I want them to read the book and to know that what animals go through in factory farms, circuses, places like that is terrible. So I had to find a way to have a balance. I don't want to, you know, scare readers off, you know, by being too violent. So I have to have scenes of the characters being friends and getting along. But I also needed to show the truth. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize is that what happens in a place like a factory farm uh, on a daily basis is more than anything they will ever experience in their life. And I wanted them to feel that. And if they feel that, hopefully they'll care enough about the real animals in the real world and say, okay, I don't want to be part of this system of abuse. Fascinating. Now, what you did with your career sounds a little bit like going backwards. It seems that when I was a kid and when my parents were kids, people wanted to grow up and be writers. And then it came to people wanted to grow up and be screenwriters or, <laughs> or, or write for television or, or, or do the work that you were doing before. What drew you to print? So I had been writing since I was a kid. And funny enough, I've looked back and I've written novels when I was a child, at like nine years old. So I've written novels all throughout this time, but I grew to have a great love for film, and I went to uh, the UCLA Film School, and that was really my path. But when I came up with the idea for this story, it felt like a novel. It has a really rich story, and I felt like it, it'll really make a great cinematic experience one day, but in order to tell the story initially, I wanted to let the story breathe, and I wanted to give the characters a chance to have really dynamic um, like personalities. And I think sometimes in film, you have to be so succinct that you don't let the story really be rich. So that's when I decided, okay, this is going to be a book. Because when I first thought of the idea, I was like, oh, I'll make this will be a movie. But then as I started really developing the concept, I very quickly learned uh, that I was like, no, no, this is definitely better as a, a really, uh, in fact, not just one book, but this is the first book in a series uh, because it just, it just kept growing and the story kept getting more and more epic. For uh, about, it took me two years to first write the initial uh, book, the story, and then it took me a year to publish it. And uh, currently I'm writing the second book and I'm having so much fun going back into the world of these characters. And I feel like they're my friends. I know I'll never actually meet them in person, but I feel like I, I know them. And I was sad uh, when I was publishing, I wasn't able to, to kind of, you know, get to, you know, be around them. So now I'm back to writing the second book and so I'm able to like hang out with them again. So I've been doing uh, a lot of that and, um, and, and the response has been really great. Uh, people have been uh, responding to it, telling me how much they're enjoying it, and uh, uh, being so kind as to uh, some people that I really admire uh, in the animal advocacy movement, uh, people like Nathan Rungle from Mercy for Animals, Gene Bauer from Farm Sanctuary, uh, Paul Shapiro uh, from uh, Humane Society, people I really greatly admire have given me blurbs and told me how much they enjoy the book. So I, I, that means so much to me to have them uh, telling me they like the book and having readers write me and tell me they like the book. 
So I appreciate all of the, the feedback I've been given. Hey, Christopher, we had a little bit of technical stuff going on. So uh, you chose a raccoon instead of a human or another animal. For what reason? So raccoons, uh, interestingly enough, my wife was the one who uh, I originally was going to do squirrels. But uh, as I told her more about the story, she said, well, well, how much do you know about raccoons? And uh, I think they'd be a great fit. So I did research about raccoons, and I was like, oh, my goodness, they are perfect for the story. And not only are they a little mischievous, um, they're nocturnal, so they don't you know, hang around when humans are around. But the best part is they have like dexterous paws. So they can open up cages and they can open doors. And that's really helpful for this story because when they go on this adventure saving other animals, I need them to be able to do uh, things like uh, get into, the, you know, tough to get into places. So they, they actually ended up working out really well. And I have my, my wife to thank for that one. Oh, that's great. That's great. It's it's always wonderful to do a little bit of collaborating, even in an unofficial sense. So whenever you were trying to get things right about what goes on in these awful places where animals are kept, what resources did you use? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, to finish the last question really quick, my wife also edited the book. So she was actually a very an integral part to the story. Um and uh, but then to answer this question, so the I wanted it to be accurate. I knew that if people are going to read this, this needs to be something that every time I talk about it with the animal issues, they need to know this is what really happens out there. So I interview people that are undercover investigators. I interview people that are experts. I read court testimony. I went online and I went on uh websites of people that are experts, but I also went on, uh, you know, the different like factory farms and, and veal farm, uh, veal farmers of America, you know, whatever it is, like I went on and I did so much research so that every time I talk about these animal issues in the book, I know that it's accurate, that this is what the animals really go through. And then I was confident that no one could read it and go, oh, this is blown out of proportion. Oh, no, this is really what they go through. Ah. Well, one of the things that Danielle was really drawn to were the details about each animal, about each species. And she talked about your character, Vincent, swimming and, and her having learned that mink like to swim, which made the industry that much worse. So was there anything you learned about animals that was particularly surprising? Yeah, well, so for each character, I then, so uh, like uh, like a mink for Vincent, uh, persimmon for a raccoon, derpok who's an opossum, I would go online and I'd do interesting research and, and try to find out, okay, what, what, is, what are very specific details of what these types of animals do? And uh, something like a, a, a mink, you know, it's so sad because they are in cages, they don't have access to water. So then their entire lives, they have this natural instinct to want to swim and they don't get to, to live that out. And so they're always kind of yearning for that. They, they stand on these cages that have their mesh wire. They're not even soft at the bottom. They don't even give them that. And so it's this really sad experience kind of watching them realize this is life. And then they, but the best part is, is this the, all there is in life? And that's the fun part where the main characters come in. I, I do kind of like backstories. You learn about different animals in these places. So when you learn everything they're going through, then you have Persimmon and her team come in and say, hey, we're going to try to rescue you. And by that point, you were rooting for these characters. You're like, get them out of there, Persimmon. You know, you're really <laughs> rooting for them to get out. Um, and that's what I want. I want readers to be on the edge of their seat and to feel like they are right there with the team. They're trying to get them rescued. And to be realistic, they don't rescue everyone. You know, there's, there's sometimes they fail. Sometimes they make mistakes. But they're always 
they're, they have very good intentions, and um, I think people can relate to that that care about animal issues. Oh, and, and that's the way it is. I know lots of people that do hands-on rescue. My daughter is a wildlife rehabilitator, and very often it's a great happy ending, and sometimes it's not. And I'm sure if a raccoon was trying to do this work, she would run into the same situation. So I know, Christopher, that you are about to take off on your book tour. You're going to be here in New York City on July 28th of 2015 and you'll be at Mooshoes, our wonderful vegan shoe bag and belt store <laughs> downtown uh, on the, the 28th of July so anybody in the New York area can come out and see you and get their very own signed copy of Persimmon that takes on humanity really quickly in our last minute this is a series what comes next I'm writing the second book now and it is so much fun to get to, you know, what I love is making these characters' lives complex and complicated. And I love going in and writing all these different things where I'm like, I want to put them in situations where the reader says, how are they going to get out of this one? That's mm-hmm. the type of stuff I like to read, and that's the type of thing that I want people to experience when they read it. But, yeah, I'm oh. very excited about New York City. I have not uh, been there in a while, and you are the, one of the biggest uh, veg-friendly cities in the world. So I cannot wait for this event on July 28th. Oh, well, I look forward to it as well. I'll be down there saying, hey. So everybody, the book is Persimmon Takes on Humanity. The website is Christopher-Locke.com. And you can also find Christopher on Facebook at LockAuthor and on Twitter at LockAuthor. I love it that you love books. I love it that you love animals. May you have great success. Thank you. It was an honor to be on your show, Victoria. Thank you for everything you do for animals. Oh, bless you, Christopher. Everybody else, stay with us through these messages, and we're going to be back with Veg News and Colleen Holland. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. It's Kitchen Table Karma. Make kind food choices. Watch more good come into your own experience. Feed your body with bright, fresh, colorful foods from nature and develop the glow of radiant health. Learn how to easily reap these benefits in your life with Victoria Moran's latest book, The Good Karma Diet. Eat gently, feel amazing, age in slow motion. Including stories from real people whose dietary change graced their lives in remarkable ways. Plus, 40 delectable superfood recipes from culinary alchemist Doris Finn. Available wherever books are sold, as a print edition, an ebook, or a deluxe Kindle or Nook book with 30 minutes of audiovisual extras. The Good Karma Diet. Share the love and love your life. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody, and it is now my pleasure to introduce somebody who is just eternally lovely and wonderful, and that is Colleen Holland. She's the publisher and co-founder of Veg News, the largest vegan media brand in the world, encompassing a flagship magazine, award-winning website, huge social media following, events, and global vacations. One of just six people worldwide to have been inducted into both the Vegetarian Hall of Fame and the Animal Rights Hall of Fame. Colleen is a 20-year ethical vegan and a diehard yogi. Welcome, Colleen. Hi, Victoria. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm a little bit under the weather, too much traveling, too much going around to Summerfest where it was really cold and then back to New York where it was really hot and... (laughs) You know, the body says don't get too sure of yourself. It doesn't do a body well, but, um, (laughs) you know, I've seen you at Summerfest for so many years. I wasn't able to make it, but I hope it was a great event. It was wonderful. It's really summer camp for vegans and also a wonderful uh, kind of family reunion. So, Colleen, everybody is waiting with bated breath. Veg News, the magazine, is coming back into the world when and how fabulous will it be? <laughs> the countdown has begun. Um, the new issue ships August 21st, and we're putting the finishing touches on it now. And, Victoria, it looks so great. I mean, my oh. goal really has been to, you know, put out the highest quality magazine possible, you know, with this first issue and beyond, and I think we definitely did that. And I just can't wait for readers to get it. So, um oh. Yeah, it start, It ships a month from uh, from yesterday, so oh, it's coming. Great. It's happening. Fantastic! Now, those of us who were subscribing before, do we have to subscribe over again, or will it just start where we left off? A great question. So, no, we've done all the work, and the subscribers don't need to do a thing. All subscriptions will be automatically adjusted to reflect any missed issues. So, don't worry about a thing. Um, if you have an address change or something like that, then yeah, you can contact our customer service team who's always available to help you. But anything relating to your subscription will take care of that for you. Oh, that's exciting. So, can you tell who or what is on the cover? Or is that a secret? Oh, well, actually, we're just going into cover discussions today. I've got a couple ideas, but I will I will keep that under wraps um, okay. <laughs> because we're, we're just starting that. We, we, we tend to wait toward the end of the design cycle to talk about the cover as the magazine really comes to life and then how we want to tell the story of the magazine on the cover. So that's where we are now. Um, so I'll have to keep that under wraps. Okay. Now, do you have a sense, just in, in general, of what kind of cover draws on in newsstand sales? Is it a celebrity? Is it a great-looking piece of food? Do you have any sense of that? Definitely. I mean, I've really studied the metrics, the sell-through percentages of our, our newsstand Um issues over the years. I'm always looking at that data because, you know, you want to repeat what works. You want to do what works and learn from, um, you know, different experiments. So for for Veg News, I would say on the newsstand, food works. Um, you know, your newsstand buyer is often different than your subscriber. Your subscriber is really your core reader. They love the magazine. They've gone the extra mile to subscribe to have it delivered to their home. The newsstand buyer will Newsstand buyer, well, we'll have some of those readers. We also have a broader readership of, of someone standing at Whole Foods and flipping through the magazines. And so the, the cover is really designed um, for the newsstand buyer um, just because our subscribers are, are typically pretty happy with you know, the <laughs> magazine as a whole. So food is what sells. And, you know, um, I w- celebrities, I would say, are number two, but they're they're not – a close to, they they don't do as well as one would think for us. Um, I just think in the mainstream world, people equate veganism and vegetarianism with food, 
and mm. they want the recipes. And so that is what we try to share with them on the newsstand. That is so interesting to me because I'm not a gourmet cook, and I always tend to think, how many recipes does a person need? <laughs> I mean, if, if I took just the cookbooks that I own at this moment and tried to make everything in them, I would have to live for another 120 years. Well, I know you're a longtime vegan, what, uh, three decades or so, and I'm, I'm celebrating my 20-year vegan um, anniversary oh. this year. Congratulations. Um, and basically, I eat the same thing every day. <laughs> you know, I except you know, I, I reserve my um, my change in in vegan food when I go out, and I love to try new things and try new restaurants and dishes. But really, at home, I like to keep it simple and healthy and basic. And I too am not a big recipe person, but I will say, and studies have shown that most people will never make a recipe from a magazine or a cookbook, it's really more for inspiration and just um, you'll, make, you'll kind of make your own take on it. But, but most people, you know, people just want to be inspired by it, look at beautiful photos and uh, sort of adjust their own eating by what they learn. Mm, that's fascinating. I've recently gotten into spices more than ever before. There's a wonderful little Indian spice shop down in the East Village that's actually one of our field trip spots when we do Main Street Vegan Academy. Mm. And I have learned about flavors that I didn't know existed. And then, of course, that all these spices have antioxidants and all sorts of great stuff in it. So that really helps because if you're just making your same thing that you make every day but you happen to put in fennel seed... It becomes an entirely different dish. It's so true. And, I mean, Indian spices are really the king of them all. They're so fragrant. And if you just lightly toast them a little bit, they even, you know, go up a notch. I, it, it can just make any dish spectacular. Yeah, for sure. Well, you mentioned celebrities on the cover and elsewhere. So let's talk about celebrities a bit. On okay. the one hand, it's wonderful that we have them. But on the other hand, it's not so great when they decide, oh, my God, being vegan was terrible. Do you want to hear how bad it was? So <laughs> where do you see the whole celebrity influence and uh, its value in our movement? Oh, gosh, you really summed it up there. It's so true. Um, you know, I guess I can look at it both personally and from a business perspective. You know, personally, I any ambassador for veganism, especially those that have a reach, uh, that have an audience is just another vehicle to get our message out. And for that, I'm so grateful. Of course, when if, you know, hopefully not, but if that person's um, veganism is short-lived and then they're very vocal about why it didn't work for them, it definitely backfires. So the idea is to uh, hopefully get, you know, have, have celebrities who are in it for the long haul. Um, from a veg news perspective, we really are very careful about that, about um, touting celebrities as vegan until we have confirmation. We have a lot of relationships with agents and publicists, and we really try to find out the truth and not just hop on the celebrity of the week bandwagon. Um, that said, if they say something very intriguing and enlightening that we think our readers will learn from and could be inspired by, and maybe they're not entirely vegan, but they are promoting veganism or plant-based diet, we'll share that. We'll just try to be sure not to position it as they are vegan. I mean, we'll just say, wow, they're saying interesting things about veganism, but not that they necessarily are. So we really try to be accurate and report it as, you know, fact if and when they are vegan. Yeah. I think that there should be a rule that a celebrity can't come out as vegan until they've done it for a year. <laughs> because, you know, it, it really yeah. takes a year. It takes going through all the seasons and holidays and, and the different life influences to see if somebody is really committed to this. And it, it doesn't matter all that much, I don't suppose, when somebody tries it for a while and then goes back. In fact, I think statistically, anybody who tries being vegan is more likely to go back and try it again. And even if they don't, they are more likely to consume fewer animal products than people who've never tried it. So that's all good. 
But I think when somebody has this incredible reach in the world, oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> I always think of it as, you know, if, if someone has some sort of, of um, a split, maybe they, they leave a religion or they leave a company, and, and it's so classy when they just say, you know, it didn't work out. I'm on to something else now. But so often the ex-vegans will say, do you want to hear everything I hated about it? I know. And it's just it's just too bad. Obviously for you and me, veganism is much more than just what we eat on a plate. It encompasses, you know, um, a much broader lifestyle and compassionate values. But, um, you know, just looping back to what you said a few moments ago, statistically, it is the people um, dabbling in, in veganism and eating more plant-based diets that are causing um, a reduction in, in animal consumption and animal suffering because more people are doing that. So, I, 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 you know, there is a little bit of silver lining there and, and gratitude there that, well, at least more people are interested in it. The world may not be going vegan tomorrow, which is my would be my dream come true, of course, but people are inching toward that and definitely... Um, eating more more plants, and, and that's a good thing. Bottom line, fewer animals suffer. Absolutely, and, and that is so important. And I find just personally that I'm thrilled when a, an omnivore decides to do Meatless Monday or Vegan Till Six or one of those things, but when somebody has been a complete vegan and then they decide to bring back some animal products, it's harder to be as charitable. <laughs> It is, especially when they wax poetic on, you know, why the vegan lifestyle um, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't uh, good for them. But um, we know, I mean, I say over and over again, veganism was the best decision I've ever made in my life. I feel, um, I feel wonderful and I feel like my, you know, I'm very, very healthy and it's, it's uh, spiritually the right decision, and my life is is rich and uh, with purpose. And um, I just hope others can experience something similar in their lives. Oh, that's so lovely. So, how do you see veganism having changed in the twenty years that you've been around it? Oh my gosh, great question. Um, well, you know, this year also uh, we celebrate 15 years of Veg News. We launched in 2000, so you know I've, I have that as a marker as well through through the ages. And it seemed, um, you know, when I went vegan in '95, it, it was it was a new world. It was something that wasn't really talked about in mainstream media. We were very much a small community, a small movement, and you know, you went to, you went down to the 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 little indie uh, natural food store and you find some kind of obscure products and <laughs> and on the one hand that seems like decades ago but you know 20 years was a long time ago but it also isn't and and the change has just happened very very rapidly um, I would say during this time as um, you know Whole Foods has really taken over the country and broadened um, you know, opened up the uh, possibility to buy vegan food, and may, there's been so much mainstream coverage of veganism. And of course, the big one is the the internet and being able to disseminate this information to the masses has been huge. And then it's just great when hey, the truth is on our side. Veganism is the way to go for health, for the animals, for the environment, for for spiritual reasons, and. I just feel like we're at a point where we're finally, you know, that message is being heard and accepted by the world. Yeah. Well, I believe it, it is opening up. It's really something that people understand at least what it is. They might not want to do it, but they don't think that it's some planet on the other side of, of Pluto, <laughs> ah, Vega. So how has your own diet evolved in this 20 years Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think initially um, I was very much thriving on a healthy vegan diet. This is uh, two decades ago and felt wonderful and, and just was in disbelief that why didn't I know about factory farming or why didn't I know that the milk industry sends the materials to elementary schools? I I was just 
dumbfounded that this information wasn't common knowledge. Um, so I really started as a healthy vegan and whole foods. And then as my veganism um, path went along and and veganism as an industry grew, suddenly there were cookies and ice cream and cheese <laughs> and restaurants. And as I... Um, you know, growing the magazine and traveling everywhere and going to conferences and taking out clients and, oh, my God, it was like, uh, and I've said this before, every day was like Thanksgiving and I was loving it and enjoying it and really making excuses that, well, hey, as long as it's vegan, it's okay to eat, um, even if it's a, you know, double chocolate Oreo peanut butter malted ice cream shake or fried uh, buffalo wings with ranch dressing. It's vegan, so I can do it. Um, and it. And it was fun, you know, to kind of try all of that stuff. But really, in, in recent years, it's, it's gone full circle. Um, and I think veganism is trending healthy in general. Uh, but I really decided to, you know, take back my health and um, really adopt a whole foods diet and I feel great and and limit all the treats um, for special occasions and try to really limit the sugar. I'm such a sugar addict, and but I got to keep that under control. And um, I feel I feel my best when eating a lot of fresh raw foods. Um, definitely not exclusively, but as much as possible. And um, eating unprocessed foods and and reserving all the yummy treats as just little nibbles when I need something uh, special. Oh, that, that sounds like the perfect diet. So we, we are about to take the perfect break, and we will be back with more Colleen Holland, and Veganers is coming back. Yay! Oh, thank you. Stay with us. Have you seen Unity Magazine lately? There's a new editor, a fresh new look, and now Unity Magazine has gone digital. Print subscribers, you can access Unity Magazine for free from your computer or mobile device. Non-subscribers can buy single digital issues through Google Play, Amazon, and the Apple Store. Sign up at our website and let Unity Magazine become your favorite digital resource for spirituality and inspiration. To learn more, visit unitymagazine.org slash digital. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here speaking with the lovely Colleen Holland of the magnificent Veg News. You can find Veg News at vegnews.com. You probably already knew that, but just in case, vegnews.com. And Colleen has also started a personal site with information and recipes and just how to make this easy. And that's called thevegan.com. So you can check out both of those sites. And while we're talking about sites, Colleen, I do want to ask about online versus print media. And I know for some time, Veg News has been both. And it, it just seems that out in the general interest world, magazines are shrinking and disappearing what do you see? Where's online? Where's print? And how does the vegan tie it together? 
Well, we could certainly talk about this for a full full hour, so maybe we'll uh, do that in the future, but I'll give you the cliff notes on it. Um, so basically, you know, Veg News is sort of a passion-driven brand. It's a niche brand. We speak to a specific community, and we've only experienced growth in the magazine. I think that the media that's shrinking are the more general interest um, publications and certainly news. I mean, um, you know, everybody's getting their news online, so the newspaper formats just really become irrelevant. But magazines are um, uh, kind of special interest magazines are, are actually thriving, and, and that's good news for something like Veg News. Now, I would say about five years ago, we launched a, I call it the tree-free edition of Veg News. It's the digital version, and it's basically a facsimile of the print version, um, but it's in an online format, and the pages turn like, you know, uh, like they would in print, but it's all on your screen. And I thought that, oh, my gosh, people are going to switch to this digital edition in droves. Everybody wants to go online, and that has not been the case at all. Um, and when we talk to people at shows and just uh, at other events, people want their veg news in print. They want that experience. They want to hold the magazine. They want the beautiful imagery. They want the escape. And a lot of them hang on to every issue for resources, for recipes. And um, so we will continue to offer, obviously, both formats, but the vast majority of our readers demand print. That is really interesting because I've managed to get extremely digital in the way I relate to life. I will read ebooks. I'm online all the time, but a magazine, <laughs> a magazine needs to have paper. And I think it's just because earlier in my life, somebody asked me once, what is just the most heavenly Sunday afternoon that you could imagine? And, and I would say, Hot cup of tea, on the couch, beautiful new issue of some wonderful magazine with glorious photographs. It, it's just an escape that seems difficult to get some other way. Well, it's true, and it's very different than the online experience now. I mean, it's not even like either or. It's just a different experience, and I think people are craving that escape, and they're craving, you know, maybe a little bit better quality editorial. Um, of course, the beautiful imagery, the more thoughtful prose. It's just that's what you can get in a magazine, and so the format is actually very, very relevant right now um, just as is you know, the most of our, our daily lives are on the computer, and this offers a, a different experience. Um, right. But that said, obviously we're going to be doing, and we do a lot online, and we're going to be doing even more um, in the future, but we try to offer stellar content online and um, and also great design, but it's just it's just a different experience altogether. So what's in the next issue? Oh, you you wouldn't tell know. me the cover. Tell me something. <laughs> I will tell you something. It is it's great. We have such a, a wonderful lineup. Um, well, for our longtime readers, hopefully they'll be happy to know that our vegan wedding feature returns in this uh, summer issue, and we're actually highlighting nine couples, and normally we highlight eight, but we had one double wedding with two sisters, and they had the most beautiful wedding. So that's, uh, so that's why we have nine couples. Um, our staff taste tested all the vegan meal delivery services out there now. That's a big trend, these oh, services wow. that deliver vegan food right to your door. Yes. And we are share our favorites and, and talk about different uh, meals you can get from these national companies. Um, we take a trip to Paris, and we dish on all the great vegan happenings. I know you went um, last year, Victoria. I, I did. I went in the winter, which is not a great idea. <laughs> Not recommended. And, and I, I wish your your article had been out. My problem in Paris was not a lack of vegan restaurants. There are quite a few. But in Paris, there is a very strong cultural practice of eating at mealtime. And so restaurants are all open mm. at the hours when they choose to be open. And it's mm -hmm. not consistent. I went to one restaurant three days in a row. <laughs> 
<laughs> trying to get there wow. when it was open. So, yeah, those those travel guides are so, so helpful. They can make all the difference. Well, especially from, you know, curated by a vegan for, you know, a vegan or vegetarian. How nice is that? There's so much information online of all the different places, but you don't know what's close and what's the best of the best. And actually, my travel and beauty editor, uh, Aurelia D'Andrea, who, who now calls Paris home, penned uh. a piece for us, and it's a real insider's guide. Um, and the other, um, the reason we decided to go with the story is because veganism is happening in, in Paris and in France, and that wasn't always the case. It's sort of been yeah. one of those cold-out cities that everyone's like, oh, they will love, they'd love to go on vacation there. It's just, but we're going to be eating baguette and, um, you know, just uh, it's hard to even get a, a latte with soy or almond milk. Well, that's changed very rapidly in the last uh, year or two. So really reports on that, which is exciting. Um, oh, that's great. We also have a, a couple of really fascinating features. You know, there's this whole nexus of food and technology happening right now. And we're here out in San Francisco near Silicon Valley, and there is big-time money being invested in vegan food companies to create uh, plant-based versions of meat, dairy, and eggs. And it's, it's, it's incredible, and it really is what could propel a plant-based future on this planet. It's so exciting. So we've kind of have a, um, a business-style piece on what that looks like, who's investing, what are they investing. And um, and then we also look at, we, we kind of have an expose on the real culprit of the worldwide drought crisis. And even though we're all being told to take shorter showers and stop watering our lawn, I think so many of us in this movement know um, how draining animal agriculture is. So we sort of blow the blow uh, that story out as well. So and so much more. That's just uh, that's well, just scratching the surface. But it's a just, great issue and it's a beautiful issue. I have my longtime art director who's been with me. I think eight years is uh, my art director, and it's it's more beautiful than ever. Oh, that's so exciting! And what do you think it's going to take? for government agencies to tell the truth about the drought and about climate change? Well, a couple things are happening, kind of circling back to our celebrity um, discussion. Nobody was really talking about it, which is why we wanted to do this story. I mean, we were talking about it internally, but there wasn't any pickup from mainstream press as to, well, why are we blaming it on, you know, these these specific uh, behavioral activities like um, watering your lawn or, or, you know, taking a 12-minute shower instead of a 10-minute shower when the vast majority of water used is for animal ag. And celebrities like um, Pamela Anderson and Moby have stepped up and called out and called attention to this through campaigns. I know Pamela and PETA really teamed up recently on something. So there'll be that pressure, especially with their reach. Um, I just think it's a, starting to have the conversation, getting it out into media, uh, the mainstream media, and putting the pressure on them to really look at the facts, and you can't hide from that. And um, there was uh, something we do talk about in the article. There's a famous quote by California Governor Jerry Brown um, at a symposium a few months ago, and he ended the lecture and said, if it were up to me, we'd all be eating veggie burgers. Um, Whoa. Oh, yeah. that's great. It was great. And, you know, of course it was controversial and people thought he was being too radical and how could he recommend that when really it was just an offhand comment joke. But it's also the truth. And so I think in his case he does know the truth, but he's got to tiptoe to get there, you know, with all the, um, you know, parts in motion uh, yes. that is, is the world of politics. Oh, there's a lot of tiptoeing in this world. <laughs> but yeah. I, I want to move a little bit, Colleen, into your yogini self <laughs> and, and your spiritual life. There's Veganism can be a spiritual decision, and I think it really was for me early on. And now we don't tend to hear about it so much. And certainly as yoga has gotten so huge and, and most people in yoga are 
omnivores or omnivores plus green juice, you know, all, <laughs> all on the path. So tell me a little bit about your spiritual path and how your veganism ties in with that. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I'm a long-time yoga practitioner, probably as long as veganism, 20 years. And for years, I just did it once or twice a week. It was very much a physical practice. Um, I didn't consider myself um, religious or super spiritual for that matter, Um, just kind of going through life. And I don't know, as I got wiser, as I got older, and, and frankly, as life got more challenging, I was found myself hungry for spirituality and um and and yoga has really given that to me in recent years i'd say in the last three to four years there there's it is it's so in line with veganism just compassion and ahimsa and non-suffering and and compassion to self and that's really where veganism starts and so there's so many parallels and so combined that with um my own craving for it in my own personal life, needing that outlet and needing a place to think bigger than myself and connect with the universe and and not just be in this manic state every day of career and, um, you know, friends and and just trying to make it through life, but just something greater than that. It's it's provided me with that. And now I'm, my yoga practice in the last few years is just um, gotten so much deeper. I practice a lot more now. Um, it it feeds me. It's my escape every day, and I'm really present there. Versus, like I said, versus before, it was very much just a physical practice. And what can I get out of it? Now I'm just so present. I'm able to block out everything around me and just focus on on that um, connection. That's so beautiful, and I love that you use the word craving, because we usually think of craving in a negative sense, and oh my gosh, you know, I crave something, but I shouldn't have it, but I really relate to that craving for spirituality, because I can see my life kind of being cyclic, and sometimes there's a lot going on in the spiritual dimension, and other times there's more going on around work and activism and that sort of thing. And when I'm away from it, it's sort of like if I haven't had broccoli in a while, <laughs> you know, that, that need will arise and, and I need it. And I feel that way about spirituality as well. There's just, um, I love also how you said it feeds you because it really does. It does. I mean, you know, when you've been traveling a lot or really, you know, every life is taking a toll, all you want is, I just want a great vinyasa class, a kale salad, and eight hours of sleep, and that can reset everything. And it's just getting back to your core and centering yourself again. And and I I really do think it comes with age and life experience and sometimes maybe negative life experience that you realize you need that. But that's the beauty of life, and and we get to experience that as we get older. So that's, that's sort of how it happened for me. That's such a beautiful tweet. A vinyasa class, a kale salad, and eight hours of sleep. <laughs> my dream come true. It doesn't happen yeah. often, but that's what my that's what I go for. I, I could even see it like embroidered. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our new our new T shirt. Yes. Now there are a lot of books and cookbooks coming. Tell me some of the ones you're looking forward to. Yeah, you know, here at Veg News, we obviously try to keep our fingers on the pulse and be very aware of all the books that are coming out now, but are also coming out in the next six months and year. And, and, uh, God, if you just look at what's coming out, you know, Victoria, it's just mind boggling. Um, yeah, where it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago compared to now, there's just so much happening. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, you know, last month, Miyoko Shinner, who actually penned a piece for us in our summer issue, come out with a gorgeous homemade vegan pantry, just about all the DIY um, pantry favorites you can create yourself just for both health and and lower impact on the environment, you know, saving packaging, everything from veggie burgers to homemade whipped cream, um, just uh, having basic mixes in your cupboards. It's a really beautiful book. Um, my friends Michelle and Josh uh, from Herbivore in Portland just came out last week with Eat Like You Give a Damn. Yes. Um, and that's a fun one. That's sort of more everyday fare. 
And then what's coming up, oh, my gosh, there's three that I'm really, really excited about for the second half of the year. I don't know if you've heard about the Taco Cleanse. I actually haven't even seen an advanced (laughs) copy, but I love the title. It's beautifully photographed. And um, I think it's making fun of, of the cleanse culture. But, uh, but hey, tacos can be healthy and delicious, and um, so that'll be a fun one. Crossroads, you know, Tal Ronin's restaurant in L.A. is coming out with its cookbook in October, I think October 15th. So, uh, and I have seen an advanced copy, and it's absolutely stunning. So I think that'll be a big one. And then a personal favorite. I don't know, Victoria, if you have ever been to the Stanford Inn. I have. I've seen it there. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, it is my favorite place on earth. I don't hold back when I say that. It's on the Mendocino Coast. It's a 41-room inn overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Gourmet, organic, vegan food, beautiful um, surroundings. It's just heaven on earth, and I try to get up there at least a couple times a year. Talk about my uh, spiritual church. That is oh, it. Oh, it sounds sure. wonderful. And, yeah, and they, they now have a book? Uh, December 29th. They okay. come out with their much-anticipated um, book, Dining at the Ravens, which is their restaurant. Mm. But it is very, very um, anticipated by any guest who has ever been there just because the food is so good and very clean and wholesome. But it is delicious all of and, those things. And I'm so sorry, Colleen, to cut you off, but we do have to stop now. So uh, read Veg News, subscribe to Veg News, go to Uh vegnews.com, go to thevegan.com. Remember our first guest, Christopher Locke, Christopher-L-O-C-K-E.com, with Persimmon Takes on Uh Humanity. All the best. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Things may happen around you. Things may happen to you. But the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Reverend Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. What is the key to happiness? Would you like to find the fountain of youth? How about all the money and love that you could handle? Well, my friends, it is there for you. You just need to strip off the false beliefs that keep your divine inheritance from being attracted into your life. You need to be real. Be vulnerable. Be naked. What are you waiting for? Let's get naked. This transformational program with Reverend Heidi Alfrey is an invitation to explore and remove the blocks that keep you from emotional freedom. Listen to Heidi and her revealing guests as they embrace the power of spiritual nakedness as a guaranteed way to live an authentic and transparent life. Expose yourself to your greatness on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Time. 
Let's get naked. No dress code required. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You gotta get rid of your butt. It's bigger than it would appear. It hinders your forward movement when you keep bringing up the rear. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.